everybody, this is Rare On Air, and if you were eavesdropping in our office, this is what you'd hear. Hello everybody, I'm Jack Hunter, editor here at Rare Politics with my good friend Matt Purple, deputy editor, and I don't think we really have much to talk about today, Matt. There's really nothing going on in American politics right now. Slow news. Sort of ho-hum. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, the big things that I'm sort of optimistic about, even I dare say excited about, was the confirmation hearings that we saw this week with Rex Tillerson. Obviously, Trump's pick, the nominee to be Secretary of State. And what got me so excited, Matt, you and I, I, and I have talked about this till we're blue in the face. These podcasts often are the desk conversations we have, but you good folks are getting to hear them, whether that's abuse or you enjoying them, that's up for you to decide. But one of the things that excited me about Rex Tillerson is that particularly in the exchange with Marco Rubio, where Marco Rubio was trying to get him to call Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, a war criminal. And Marco Rubio was trying to draw lines over here and lines over there. And if A happens, Rex Tillerson, will you make sure B happens? Basically doing the same old neoconservative stuff that Marco Rubio has always done. How are we going to get to war quicker? How are we going to escalate tension and conflicts? And Rex Tillerson's response to all of that was, I'm not going to label anybody anything. It's counterproductive. Yes, these are bad things that are happening across the globe. And basically, my role as Secretary of State is to use diplomacy first. Now, that sounds like common sense to you or I, or many of the people listening. To somebody like Marco Rubio, that infuriated him. He was not happy after that. He is used to having Secretary of States, whether it's a John Kerry or certainly a Hillary Clinton, that are just as eager, maybe not quite as much as he is, but certainly more than Rex Tillerson, I think this could be flipping the script a little bit, American foreign policy, just based on the confirmation hearings. Am I being too optimistic? Marco Rubio, I don't think, understands what a Secretary of State is. I agree with that. Uh, that, that was a very callow cross-examination yesterday. I thought it came across very badly. Um, <clears throat> he was quizzing him about you know, various issues, Russian dissidents, people the regime has murdered, uh, so on and so on, all of which are very important, by the way, and I'm not going to downplay them. Russia, Moscow is a thuggish regime, and, and Putin himself is a strong man, and we should make no qualms about that. But if you're the Secretary of State, it's your job, first of all, to enact, enact the policy of the president above you, which hasn't been set yet because Donald Trump isn't in office. Right. So he can't, Rex Tillerson can't be sure what Trump is going to do on Russia, what his actual foreign policy there is going to be. If he at his confirmation hearings with this sudden onus of the Secretary of State position on him comes out swinging against Russia and then Trump decides we're actually going to try to do a, a better relationship with them, uh, he's going to be completely out of sync. And the Russian regime is going to go, wait a minute, what's going on here? This, you're sending us mixed signals. You can't do that in diplomacy. That's point one. Point two is that if you're a Secretary of State, it is your job to deal with the world as is, not as you hope it, hope it is, not as you hope it becomes, uh, you know, not, not this magical version that you superimpose on it like so many idealists do, the way that it is. And yes, that means projecting liberal values and hoping to talk up uh, liberty around the world. That, that does matter. But you're not going to achieve that in a confirmation hearing, and you're not going to achieve that by coming out swinging against Russia, which really is going to have no effect. Uh, Rubio seemed to think that if Tillerson gave the right answer about how horrible these persecutions against you know Russian dissidents are, then you know the, Kremlin, the Kremlin's onion domes would just come collapsing down while Flight of the Valkyries played in the background, and Russian <laughs> Democrats would come rushing in, and the entire place would be restored. And that's not how it works. Rex Tillerson can maybe work towards that goal or something very slightly approaching that goal, uh, but he needs to get into office first. If you are a diplomat, um, it's your job to to use BS. 
it doesn't behoove you always to come sure. out and say the direct truth, which is that the Russian regime is an oppressive one. Because your goal is to put America first and America's interests first, and based on that, sculpt relationships with overseas nations. That's what Tillerson is thinking. That's what Tillerson has to do. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think even if John Bolton went before the committee yesterday and was quizzed by Rubio about those same questions, John Holton, Bolton, as hawkish as they come, you know, a, a thoroughbred neoconservative, uh, briefed beforehand as all Secretary of State candidates were, I don't even think he would have given the answers Rubio wanted to, simply because he can't, given the position he's going to assume. I would want to think that, but I think you're giving probably John Bolton a little bit too much credit. <laughs> I might be. He's so <laughs> whacked out that I think he would do that. And that kind of sort of gets to my larger point. You're absolutely right about the proper role of a Secretary of State, but that's not necessarily how Marco Rubio, like you said, he doesn't understand. I think he might understand, but wants it to be more than that or something that's more reflective of what he believes. Yeah. I think a John Bolton is in that sort of same sort of mindset. You talk about the guy at the top, Trump would be the person who directs a Secretary of State. That's true. But given what we know about Donald Trump, and maybe his lack of knowledge in certain areas, don't you think that he would lean on his Secretary of State for guidance as much as he would be giving orders? So that's why these confirmation hearings are important and why I think an uber hawk like Marco Rubio wanted to know what this guy thinks and wanted to pick his brain and wanted it to be more warlike than maybe what the, the answers that were given that frustrated him. Look, it, the reason it's important not to label things, even if they're true, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Let's, let's be yeah. very clear about that. If there's a definition in, of that, in multiple parts right, of the world, he is a war criminal. But the reason you don't do that is because it leads us into things that, in retrospect, are more harmful than they do good for the United States. The Iraq War. What did we hear about Saddam Hussein? He's a monster. He was certainly a war criminal as well. The things that he did to his own people. Uh, what did that lead to? That rhetoric. We had the Iraq War. I don't think anybody in retrospect thinks that was a good idea. Muammar Gaddafi. We just had to go in there and take him out. What did Hillary say? We came, we saw, he died. Same sort of rhetoric. That man was also a war criminal and does anybody think that was a good idea? Barack Obama calls the 2011 Libyan intervention the worst mistake of his presidency, the greatest mistake. You've got the situation in Syria. You had the Obama administration pushing for airstrikes in 2013. Why? Because Secretary of State John Kerry said this was a Munich moment and Bashar al-Assad was, he was equating him with Adolf Hitler. So that's pretty much war criminal. Mm -hmm. You're using the same sort of rhetoric. And what do we have now? We have horror in Aleppo. We have U.S.-backed rebels who are part of that. Of course, Assad, the point being, and Donald Trump is right about this, ISIS has benefited from all this. Libya, Syria, a lot of the things we've done. What I'm trying to say is labeling these people, what they are, war criminals, and getting out there and thumping your chest, as Marco Rubio and those types like to do, and then urging a Secretary of State to do that, as John Kerry has in the past, and Rex Tillerson is sort of indicating he might not in the future, that's what leads us into these conflicts and hurts the United States of America. It's not Rex Tillerson being a wimp and not in refusing to say this guy is a war criminal. It's been being smarter than Marco Rubio and half the other idiots who've been in charge of our foreign policy by not going there. Yeah, it's, it, foreign policy is complex, as you just very beautifully laid out. And I think one of the problems is the neocons have this parlor game that they love to play where they're obsessed with moral clarity. And they want you to come. Are you willing to come out and say that Vladimir Putin is an evil it's like thug? Like schoolyard. Are you willing to come out and say that Saudi I Arabia double dog is dare a human? You. Yeah, as a human rights violator. 
which if we, I mean, I'll come out and readily admit to all of those things, that doesn't change anything. Okay, we've, we've said that, we've acknowledged that, it's out there, congratulations. The Saudi regime is still firmly in place, and Vladimir Putin is still sitting in the Kremlin. And the only difference is now they're a little bit angrier at us because we've publicly aired this laundry that they, they that is thoroughly undiplomatic. Um, there's a lot more to foreign policy than just words and then just statements of, of you know, morality. And that's where you quickly run into trouble, I think, with this approach. I mean, like you said, you're right. It's, you know, you can say until the end, uh, uh, until the end of time that Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. It doesn't change the fact that Iraq is tangibly, palpably, manifestly worse off since he was tossed. Right. Because foreign policy is all conducted in grays. And that was the problem, is Rubio was trying to siphon it into this little black and white world where, oh, everything is going to be so much better if only you come out. And if only you say, if only we can finally look at the world the way that it really is. What I like about Tillerson, to the extent that, that I heard this yesterday, was that he does look at the world the way that it really is. Uh, he's not deluding himself into thinking that we can blanket the Middle East with democracy or that you know Putin is just going to you know, bend over if only we talk toughly to him enough. That's not his approach. He wants to, to have an American-centered foreign policy, and he wants to confront the real problems of the world. And by the way, uh, Rex Tillerson, no pushover on Russia yesterday, I thought. Not at all. If you notice this, not at all. he said that we should have armed the, the rebels in eastern Ukraine. <clears throat> I think that would have been a pointless and, and suicidal policy. Uh, he's more hawkish on Ukraine probably sure. than I am. Uh, but, you know, it, he came out and said that. That That's certainly... Uh, a repudiation of, of the Hawks' allegation that he was weak. Uh, so there was that, too. And also, I found this very interesting as well. He also came out and said that China in the South China and East China Seas were taking islands that weren't theirs, and we need a policy to push back against that. Um, very hawkish take on China. This is a legitimate divide within the foreign policy community. Is Russia the real enemy that we face, or the real adversary in the 21st century, or is it China, which is vastly more economically powerful, which has a larger military, um, <clears throat> whose economy has not been shrinking for the past three years, the way that Russia's has been. Um, Tillerson, to me, seemed far more, shall we say, clear-eyed on that question than a lot of the hawks who were cross-examining him, who were monomaniacally focused on Russia. Right. And him even showing that kind of strength in ways that we might even disagree with. Um, you know, Rubio still walked out of that and said it was all discouraging. That was the exact word he used. And that's scary. You know, we're, we're, we're doing this podcast, we're watching the confirmation hearings, and I just heard uh, General Mattis who's uh, General James Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, who's up for Defense Secretary, uh, said something encouraging along the lines of what we're talking about. This is just one sentence. I, I posted it on my Facebook and I tweeted it out. I was so excited about it. Uh, it doesn't take much for me, folks. I get excited about weird <laughs> things. That's what political people, how we think, are sometimes. But General James Mattis said that we shouldn't look to the military to solve all of the world's problems, <gasps> basically. Yeah, and here's a guy who's respected within the military, a soldier, soldier. Oh, he's, if he's ever was one, he's a weak thing. Right, that is that's that's something that my old boss Rand Paul would have said, his dad would have said, uh, other people, left and right, who've been accused of being isolationists for daring to say maybe a military solution is a not the best solution and b not for every solution, uh, the answer to every problem. Um, that's encouraging, too. Uh, so between Tillerson and Mattis, I think Donald Trump, you know, has within his defense orbit some good people. If this, you know, they, they are confirmed, got to keep John Bolton out of that mix, so we'll see what that looks like. Um, it's been very interesting. We're going to talk about something negative when it comes to Donald Trump, or something certainly when it comes to civil liberties, and that's Mike Pompeo. 
Yeah. Now, these confirmation hearings, Mike Pompeo is begin, beginning his, is Trump's pick for the head of the CIA. Here's a guy who, <laughs> it might have been the first paragraph of him talking during the hearing, brought up Edward Snowden and what a dastard, you know, horrible scoundrel he was. He, he, he said that. Here's a guy, and you just wrote about this, Matt. You can check it out at rare.us. Um, basically, he thought that the mass surveillance programs we had, the metadata collection programs, any of the mass surveillance programs we had before Snowden revelations were not only okay, but it sought to expand that. And if you care about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Fourth Amendment, that should frighten you. Yeah, I think you made a good point before, which is that the intelligence agencies are, and the intelligence community more broadly, uh, are like the police. Uh, they are a brotherhood, they're a clique, and they assume that what's right for them and what makes their lives easier is therefore what's right in general. And, and constitutional to, somehow. And they're going to stick by their man until the last. And the worst possible thing you can do is betray them, is walk out and expose their secrets, which is exactly what Edward Snowden did. And there are some congressmen, some senators on Capitol Hill who are more influenced by the intelligence community, by this mentality. Uh, Pompeo was clearly one of them. Richard Burr on the Senate side right. would be another good example. And there are those who, you know, if you knock, you're just going to find a closed door. And that's Rand Paul, that's Ron Wyden. And, you know, Pompeo definitely on the more hawkish side of this. He... Uh, he's advocated, as you've reported in the past, that Edward Snowden should be executed for treason. Right. He boasted about voting for the USA Freedom Act, but then he later wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal saying, actually, I think we ought to set up a database that lets, any that lets the intelligence agencies search through any metadata obtained from any American, along with other, as he called it, lifestyle information that might be... No limits. Them. No limits whatsoever. Um, he was quizzed about that by Ron Wyden today, and he said, well, you know, I'm going to be in charge now, but the law is the law. I'll enforce the Freedom Act. Sure, but then why were you trying to overhaul the law? Right. Why were you trying to do something that was distinctly illegal under the law? Why, or advocating for that, rather. And it, it's just, it's very bothersome to me. And I, you have to understand the constitutional and legal arguments behind this. It can't just be what the intelligence agencies want, the intelligence agencies get. Uh, you ought to understand the Constitution and what it allows you to do and not do. And what I was most struck by in that uh, an op-ed that Pompeo wrote about the subject was um, he referred to, he brushed by the Fourth Amendment basically saying that under the Fourth Amendment it allows, quote, reasonable warrantless searches. <laughs> There's no such thing as a reasonable warrantless search. It's an oxymoron. Right. The Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Uh, an unreasonable search and seizure is by definition one where a warrant is not presented. There is no such thing. The only question is whether metadata falls under the Fourth Amendment or whether it doesn't. The courts have been split on this. I think it's clear that it does. Sure. But uh, Pompeo, like so many other advocates of the surveillance state, don't understand the law behind them, don't understand what they're talking about. They come up with these half-baked bromides to try to escape by it, and they end up sounding foolish. And I just, as somebody who's going to be at the CIA and is going to be tasked with making sure that Langley adheres to the law, that doesn't inspire confidence in me. No, it doesn't. And even in the Obama administration with Clapper, you know, they got, a, got caught with their pants down. The reason Edward Snowden came forward in 2013 to say, hey, American people and global public, this is what the NSA is doing to you as far as spying on everyone and citizens of, of the United States. The reason he did that is because James, James Clapper told the U.S. Senate, we're not doing this. 
Mm -hmm. uh, he was asked by Ron Wyden during a Senate hearing, are you collecting the data of all Americans in mass? And, and the Clapper said, no, not wittingly. Why would James Clapper say that? Because he knows it's unconstitutional. Why would James Clapper say that? Because he knows it's controversial and the American people would be outraged. Did, did he think that mass warrant was unwitting? Like they were just, right. whoops, that fell into the FISA court. Didn't mean to do that. Exactly. <laughs> so you had James Clapper lying about it, Edward Snowden calling him on it, basically with his revelations, the Obama administration saying, well, yeah, we do do that, but it's really not spying. And then later on, not only were they doing everything Edward Snowden said they were, but far worse. We've under The government lied, basically. At least during the Obama administration, they were sort of scurrying around saying, hey, how do we cover this up? We look like jerks. This is wrong. This is bad. And continued to do it. With Pompeo and pr Trump, who has said after the, the attacks in Paris and all that, we need more mass surveillance. This is the president doing that. Uh, and Pompeo saying, well, you know, the Constitution is what it is, but this is why we need this uh, database that allows us to do that. That worries me. It's almost another step in the wrong direction if you care about civil liberties. Yeah, and I think if you do care about civil liberties, the USA Freedom Act was, first of all, hard fought and hard won. Uh, it came two years after Snowden came out with his disclosures and uh, and a lot of activism and a lot of, you know, pressure on Capitol Hill and a lot of uh, election of certain Tea Party lawmakers with certain views went into that. And it was also very, very gentle. It was very much a graze. I mean, the intelligence agencies themselves said, we can deal with this. Um, I think it was Michael Hayden who boasted about how if you told me Snowden was going to come out and all we'd have to put up with is the USA Freedom Act, I would have said, great, that's fine. The intelligence agencies think nothing of this because they can still collect mass metadata. It just has to go through the telecom companies and they have to get a FISA warrant. FISA Corps gives them whatever they want. Right. So it's, it's hardly a layer of protection. Um, even this is too much for Pompeo. Uh, even this is too cumbersome it's too for the intelligence agencies. They want unlimited, unbridled access to everything in terms of metadata, period. And if you don't go along with them, then you're endangering the national security of the United States. This is what you're up against here. The pressure is enormous, and uh, Pompeo is going to be a part of that now. And remember, he's going to be heading the CIA. He has myriad contacts on Capitol Hill because he himself was a congressman. Uh, he's going to be able to work his dynamic there to to the CIA's adva advantage and to his advantage. Um, this doesn't bode well, I think, for privacy advocates. And here's, and I think we've laid out in this podcast, and before we sign off here, the problem with just cheering the Trump administration and completely condemning the Trump administration. We talked about Rex Tillerson, a little bit about James Mattis, and how they could be flipping the script on American foreign policy in a positive way. And then we talk about Pompeo and some of President-elect Trump's attitude, attitudes on civil liberties, and it's going in the exact opposite negative direction. So that could be scary as well, how this plays out on the other end. And this guy's going to be president soon, folks. We'll find out. But thanks for being with us today, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys.